ride with me in my foul life. Another thing, I mean, getting caught out of the blind is something that absolutely drives me batty. Because when those geese come over that tree line, like a lot of times you're bordered by tree lines. And when they come over that tree line, they see, they see really, really well. And they see everybody standing around and running to their blinds. Then you're re-tricking them after their instinct has fired off. The first thing that happens when they get over your field is you fuck with their instinct. And they go, something ain't right. If you're tucked in when they come over that tree line, you ever notice how many times they circle when you're tucked in? A lot less than if you're standing out there all the time. Well, sure, but why? I mean, that's, see you. that's common sense, right? Like, yes. So you're saying that a lot of your hunters get they get impatient and they can't slay in the blind and just wait there and let the hunt unfold. They got to be up and whether it's moving decoys or they're up messing around with each other, they think that they're going to have plenty of time to get back in the blind because they're going to hear a distant honk or something to warn them. We've seen it over and over and over. And when we say hide is everything or hide is, you know, 90% of the game, I think that's true. Everybody is always messing with three or four decoys on the edges or, oh, we got to pull that decoy in five feet or that one's got to go out three feet and make the sea longer on this side. Yeah, that that stuff's all all obviously has some little effect and it goes to the psyche of the waterfall hunter overthinking everything. And that's part of the joy of it for us, obviously. But how many times are geese coming in and we don't know the answer to this and they're circling or they're not deciding to land. They don't want to put their boots down because their instinct is triggered. They're incredibly instinctive. And when they come over that far tree line and the first thing they see in a field is to them is other geese feeding and then people running back to their blinds because you can have the same conversations when you're all in layout blinds or all in a panel blind or sitting behind three rows of corn that you can when you're standing out in the middle of the field and then running back to your blind. So the first thing you're triggering in any waterfall that comes over the far tree line and now is over your field, even if it's 500 yards out, the first thing you're doing is triggering their fear instinct. The reactive instinct that something's wrong. That's the first thing they see. And then when the geese are coming, everybody's got their heads out of the blind, looking around, trying to follow them as they go behind you. And you always get, I mean, you get busted most when they fly over your back, right? Because the back of your blind, for some reason, is never taken care of as much as the front. And your head's sticking out a little bit. And, and your head's got a bright yellow patch on it or blue or red patch on it, which they see blue and red. And and then you wonder, why did they circle five times and then skedaddle? Because something triggered their instincts to not land. A predatory so is that instinct. the only group this happens on? What do you mean? <clears throat> After the first group does that and you guys get no caught? Are you guys, are the guys in your group constantly up and out of the blinds trying to think that, you know, that they're going to be able to time it and, and they won't? mess with any other flocks look i'm completely as guilty as the next guy for standing around and joking and you know stretching your legs or walking through the decoys when you're waiting for the next group of geese to come i'm as guilty as everybody else just because it takes discipline to stay hidden but i think that in combination with actually just hiding staying hidden when they're coming is a big part of it 
brushing in your blind. You know, one of the first times I ever hunted, hunted with a guy named Tom Burkholz, owns Tom's Guns in Marshall, Wisconsin. And he said to me, he said, when you think you're brushed in, brush in more. The general rule. And it's always the part that's the biggest pain in the ass while you're out there is brushing in the blind. And because you're kneeling down, your your fingers get cut by the sharp grasses that you're pulling with your hands, and you're tucking in the dewy, muddy grass into your blind while it's dark out. And then it gets light out, and you see whether you run in a panel or a layout blind, you see that you haven't done the greatest job ever. And you can you can brush as much as you want and unless you've got cover around you. But when you're brushing in in the middle of a field, you have, you know, depth and dimension to it. Now it's arguable. It's arguable as to whether ducks and geese can see that dimension, but they definitely see shadows. So how many times you look at the blinds after the lights come up when the birds start flying and it just doesn't look right. Uh, to a bird. I mean, there's something in the middle of the field. And then when that head is sticking out of the top of the blind, looking back and forth, you know, Dave Nelson loves uh, a certain type of blind that has a cover that comes over the top. He loves those blinds that layout blinds that have the cover that comes over the top power hunter. Yes, because you're looking through the mesh and they can't see your head moving around while you're calling and your hands moving while your hands moving while you're calling. You know, that's natural. But a lot of guys just do it outside of the blind rather than tucked in under the blind. And I'm I. I, you know, I don't have science. I, all I have is anecdotal proof of this. But over and over and over, you wonder why geese that have been feeding in a spot a week in a row and you see those exact geese coming back. You, I've even seen, oh, there's a family group of five. There's 10. There's 20. And, and you see, you, you know, that family group of five has been feeding there for a week. So why do they not put boots down on that day you're there because you have fired up their instinctive response to a predator or a predatory nature of the field somehow are you running back to your blind is your head sticking out of your blind are you moving do you have a bright red patch on your hat you don't know if they have been decoyed before you don't know if you another no group idea. got them before you found them in this field they moved to your field because they got shot out of another field so they're leery already they're wa- they're watching for the boogeyman but back to your point of concealment, um, early season geese, as early as you guys open up, I would think like I under I, I truly believe in matching the natural vegetation of a field. But first off, do you guys pick straws or have a team leader that says you're on decoys, you're on blind concealment? And when I say this, I mean this because everybody's got to have a role. You Everybody can't be the, the boss. Okay, you can't have the chief and then nobody want to listen to what the chief says. Like, if you're told that you're put on blind duty, which if the group's large enough should be at least two, if not three guys and girls of getting the blinds out, positioning them the right way, getting the right space in between them. Do you put full bodies in between them to break up those blinds and the outline of that blind? Do you put walker and high head sentries behind them? So when the geese look over the blinds, they still see activity of geese behind them. So then when they get behind the blinds, they look back at the blinds and those sentry decoys are hiding the back panel of the blind. And then are you 
is your team taking that serious enough to where all oh, my knees hurt bending down sucks oh i might cut my finger oh the grass is wet oh i'm getting muddy oh i'd rather be putting out decoys i feel i feel like a bigger part of the team of, of right. why we're succeeding well concealment's everything you got to be where the geese want to be or the x and then hiding is the most important thing if you could the world's greatest caller ain't gonna kill them if you're sticking out the best decoys in the world ain't gonna kill them if you're sticking out because they're looking for the boogeyman right so do you pick a team and and and, uh, and a team leader tells the crew what to do or is it just like a free-for-all once that trailer opens up well you know how opinions are among waterfowl hunters and you've got usually basic basically or usually somebody every person is a hide in the decoys or hide outside the decoys person so you've got your theorists who say i'm gonna hide in the decoys i hunt with a guy named woody and all he ever wants to do is hide in the decoys even if we're hunting you know an edge he'll put the blind outside of the good cover to hide in the decoys because he believes in the theory of putting decoys around the blinds and he believes if they're getting behind you or even when they're looking down naturally that they're more likely to think or instinctively believe that the blinds are just lumps in the in the field where a farmer left some scrap behind or or it's just a pile of of corn you know corn husks or something and then you've got the people who are died in the wool tried and true hide outside of the decoys um i i go back and forth because i think if you're using a good natural hide whether it's a little hill or a little sinkhole in the middle of the field that's got higher grass i'd rather hide in the natural vegetation that's been there before because i don't know what a goose remembers from the day before all i can tell you is maybe nothing nothing they remember which fields to go to they come to the same field two weeks in a row you'd have a hard time telling me like you know they're probably not as dumb as a turkey that you could take a box blind and put it in the middle of a weed field that wasn't there for the last six weeks you put it there that morning they'll walk right up by it you know and, and get on a decoy that's not very sharp. Like that's no that's, turkeys you're talking about. Yeah, but again, they don't know the difference. Like they don't know like that there's any kind of form of danger inside that house. They just remember the worms they got out of that field the day before. They can't think back and go, "Did I see that house yesterday? Was that there yesterday? I don't remember." Susie, let's go check it out. Maybe it's you know they'll they'll. I mean, I've been in. So they remember do- where they eat geese are i mean they're very imprinted they understand geographical parts right but i think that when they when when they come over the tree line and i've seen real geese react to live geese the same way where they circle them and they're sure. you know, they're, they're standoffish a little bit sure but this concealment in the hide is the number one confidence thing after you find the field and you decide all right that's where we're hunting it's either the x or we're going to get in between them and run traffic or whatever that whole part of the blind and ground blinds are a big deal because they're a lot of times in the decoys in the middle of the field. Panel blinds and edge hunting is a big deal because it's hard to pull big geese to the edge of fields. They Real don't, hard. They don't find comfort in that at all. Right. Then if you mix in a tree line that's taller, I've seen lessers in Kansas work into tree lines, but a lot of times big geese, they won't mess with no, tree lines. No. They're very leery because of the, the, the predators, right? Hawks yes. up there on the branches or eagles or coyotes coming Owls. out after them owls all that stuff so back back to the concealment part we always when we hunt we always do it the day before no matter what 
how much time we have we'll go find a ditch line along that field or an adjoining field and we'll cut massive amounts of vegetation with electronic blades and freaking getting in there and really getting in you know pulling some of that stuff will mess with your hands so a good pair of gloves good pair of boots covered up to where mosquitoes or none of that's getting you in the early season and then doing it the day before the night before and we, really over exaggerating it to where when you bring your when you bring your trailer in you have all your blinds done they lay it out and then you have a huge extra pile that goes in between them and creates what we call a false line and that false line is what kills geese and kills ducks a false line they'll never remember because all it looks like is a natural hump but what we do is we have this unnatural looking thing with yes. one's covered one's not as covered if somebody kicks their boot bag and it kicks it all that's off right and all that so if you if you build that false line around the blinds and in between the blinds that's that's the secret of i believe concealment is the day before and over exaggerating the amount of and you can use burlap you can use fast grass you can use a lot of the different like the stuff that we make in killer weed and really decorate your blinds up with natural earth tone colors to where it, it kind of supplements the natural vegetation absolutely 100 percent taylor finger uh, the wisconsin game bird biologist for the entire state i said to him i looked at him i said what is the best camo to hunt waterfowl and he said not moving not moving at the end of the day he said camo matters very little and the hide matters a lot because it's concealing movement i don't know if camouflaging doesn't matter oh i'm not sure it doesn't matter at all but i can tell you it, movement. I'm not saying the pattern matters, but the breakup of matters. <clears throat> yes, but movement. He said movement is 10 times more, has 10 times more of an effect on waterfowl movement does than what you're wearing. I would say that's true with any wild animal. You move on a turkey, you're done. True. If you're in a black suit up against a tree and you don't move, you're going to kill a turkey. You're killing a turkey. If you're in a black suit in a ground blind and they can't see in there with all the sh- with all the darkness... You're going to kill a turkey. I would say bull elk. Their vision is so good. They're better. They're the number one, I think, in North America ahead of the turkey. They're looking for movement. Yeah. They're trying to depict that bow being pulled back. They're looking for something that's not natural. They'll come to a call. They'll come to a steel hunter five feet from a guy that's drawn back. Sometimes they get too close. You can't even put an arrow in them. Um, I would think that wild animals are trained to look for danger through movement right that's what think. he says he said but nothing in, in flares any- their instinctive in the, their instinctive uh, reaction more than movement but what when, i don't think that in goose hunting you're moving a lot you shouldn't be like your hands if somebody's rolling around and they're trying to pie face and look at them which is a big thing with with new hunters or ground blinds to where people want to see the show of course. And they go behind you, and the first thing you do is you open your lid and you try to poke. Well, you got to have the right instincts and understand the timing of when you can let that, when you can afford the, you know, afford to get out and look without getting busted. Um, but movement, yeah, I just don't see a whole lot of opportunity of movement in a goose field. I think most of the time it happens when they're behind you. And, and if you got a line of eight guys in a row, eight, people eat eight hunters and one of them sticks his head out to turn at the wrong time there's a lot of set of eyes up there and you ever watch a goose when they're coming in their head is literally moving three four inches back and forth the whole time they're looking 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 mfers man and 
when a head pops out and turns around. So maybe it's not as much the back of the blind concealment as it is the fact that someone's got their face sticking out, turning to look I, at I them. I think skin is a big deterrent. No question. I think it is in that we take it for granted a lot. Like, you know, you see old timers wearing face masks and you're like, well, that's kind of, they know. Those old timers yes. in the 60s and 70s, they know how important earth, how bad skin is to geese and unnatural it is to them. But again, skin with two eyes in it, you know, they're seeing eyes. They see your eyes. And of course, you have to you. There's nothing you can do about your eyes sticking out. You can wear sunglasses, but then they might see the reflection of the sunglasses. Are a tough call in, in a ground blind. Real tough call. They're real tough on on the shine and the and the right. reflection off of them. Camera lenses. Camera we always lenses. look at our camera lenses and the way that we point them and try to keep the sparkle of the sunshine off of them. Um, we're dealing. And my mentality is that I've gotten to the point now to where you just got to kill the birds that you're meant to kill that day. We yeah. overthink. We over. We overthink things to the point of. Hold on, real quick. Nick wants to know how many goose livers we want. Ten. We have a smorgasbord coming up today. It's going to be good. We're going to talk about that later. But you're you're in the decoy spread. It's either Canada or it's early morning September goose hunt. It could be any time. But sun's coming up. Early risers get up off the roost and they come in and they don't work the decoy spread. And the first thing waterfowl hunters do is go, oh, man, we got to change some shit up. They don't right. think about angle of the sun, the brightness. Like if people would understand what brightness does to waterfowl, that's that is a killer, right? Like I don't know if you understand what I'm saying because you probably hunt a lot more geese than you do ducks. I, I assume you do. I hunt more geese. Yes. Okay. So duck hunting, people are always worried as heck after the first for flock or two doesn't do it in the morning in the dark right first off my mentality is i'm not shooting those birds now again filming has taught me this and so has getting a little bit older in my hunting career that you go into arkansas flooded timber hunt and those birds start coming in there at 655 and shooting hours are at 657 and they landing in your decoys and you're waiting until 657 to get them up and shoot them i look at that like that is the most unsporty and i'm not saying don't do it but can you imagine that you don't want to sit there and see the majesty, the power when the sun's up and those green heads freaking mah, 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 and you spin them on a dime and then they do it. A lot of people are done hunting by eight o'clock in the morning. I'm asking you before we go into that, the overthinking it, what is the joy in that? Are we so gung ho on the kill that we got, that we have to get back and get them in the, in the grease or on the smoke because we're that hungry? What is the joy in shooting those birds? You can't even tell a mallard drake from a mallard hen unless it's a single and it comes in with a grunt whistle or she's quacking. So you can't tell the sexes because not many duck hunters can tell just by the size of the duck when they're coming into the decoys. So when you're shooting them in that low morning light, what is the what is the pleasure in that? Uh, there's different. I, there's a whole bunch of different factors. Some guys got to get to work after the hunt, so they want a real early hunt to be able to get home and get to work. Um, some people are trying to put food in the freezer. I think those are motivating factors. If you're out there and you have the ability to, you know, 
have some time and hunt, it's much more majestic. I'm kind of psychotic about pulling the trigger on on ducks because I'm deathly f- afraid of misidentifying myself. I'm I'm deathly afraid of that. I want to know what I'm shooting. I want to know what you know. I don't want to end up shooting something I'm not supposed to shoot. So I'm deathly afraid of it. I don't like to shoot ducks in low light now a goose coming in is a whole different story uh in those first hours of open time in the morning because it's a goose and it's honking and it's coming in and you don't have to identify between the sex of what goose it is but duck hunting i'm i'm loony psycho about it because i don't want to shoot the wrong thing um i think that plays a role in it some people are much better at duck identification Uh, quickly and in lower light conditions and you know i'm 51 now so my eyes don't work as well in low light as they used to Um, and there's it's much more majestic uh, when you have the sun that's broken the horizon and you can see the colors of the ducks that are coming in there's no doubt about it whether you know i we don't get opportunities to timber hunt much in wisconsin we're field hunting or water hunting and i don't have a boat Well, that means I'm a field hunter. And so, you know, those low light conditions are when a lot of the birds fly the most. A lot of the ducks fly the most, you know, right off the bat until that first 20 minutes, half hour of light. Um, and, And it's funny because that first hour, that first half hour of light changes so incredibly every five minutes. So right when shooting time opens there are many many times you can barely see if it's cloudy you can barely see when it's actual shooting time and five minutes later you can see completely differently and 10 minutes from your start sometimes you can see perfectly clearly uh depends if there's not a cloud in the sky you can see before shooting time so i think all those factors matter definitely so you're saying right now at this point in your career though you don't have anywhere to be. You work from home. I'm just, I'm just setting this up. I'm just, no, I'm not just saying you. I'm talking a lot You're of people. You're saying if you don't have anywhere to go, if you got yeah. time to go hunt for yeah. three, four hours. Yeah. yeah. You're going to pull the goose. You're going to kill a goose in the dark. Just no, because. I'm not going to kill a goose in the dark. I'm saying. I'm, not, I'm talking legal light and he's honking coming in and it's nowhere near pretty. It's just a shadow, a silhouette of a goose because he got bumped off the river by a coyote that ran in there or a train went by and scared the shit out of him and he got up in the dark. He flies in. You're killing that goose. You're Let's say that you're with a buddy of yours that's just as experienced as you and it's not a newbie. Because I like even a new hunter, I don't want to have him kill that goose in the dark. It's not majestic. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give that a 50-50. What would be the reasons why you would shoot that goose? Put it in the crock pot to eat hard, it for it's dinner. A, it's been a tough season and you want some food. Yeah. I mean, okay, my family with that. my family lives on Canada goose from September 1st to January 8th. Do and we, I love that. We eat other stuff, obviously. But come the end of summer, we're using up the last bit. I mean, Wisconsin's got very specific restrictions about possession limits. Uh, you can keep a possession limit of three times your daily bag limit. So that means you can have nine geese in the freezer. A person with a license who waterfowl hunts. Now, my daughter usually gets her waterfowl hunting license um, 
I should say 50% of the time or so she does. So if I'm shooting a goose at daybreak, it's because that goose is never going to, is never going to see the freezer. That's going straight home into the cowboy game washer and into, into the Traeger that day that's dinner that day uh if i'm out there with a buddy and we're seasoned hunters and you can't you know and it's still fairly dark but you can identify it as a goose it's your call and his call i'm going to say maybe 50 percent of the time maybe less uh, because it's pretty awesome for me i'm thinking of if this goose lands well, he's going to be walking around in the decoys probably when the next group comes in. And you're going to shoot him when he gets in. up. You've already made that clear. No, I'm saying, I've made it clear. I have no problem with that. I have zero ethical problem That's a good discussion that. that we need to have. We had that discussion. No, I'm talking about on here about like what if we just had it in, we just had it personally. We just no, had it. we talked about oh, we it talked on a podcast. On yeah. So you think it's still okay to shoot them when they get up out of the decoys after they've hit the ground? When they're off the ground, yes, I do. Okay. Well, we won't get back into that. That's so unsporty. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me ask you this, though, real A quick. lot of factors. If I'm putting food on the table. It, let me ask you this regarding putting food, food on, on the, the table. table. You just brought up a point about the possession limit. Three days, your three times your daily limit. Now, what is the what is the limit in the early season? Five per person per day. And it's three once the break comes. And when is that right now? Did it already come? 15, yeah. 15 days of early season. So does that, is that possession limit go on to your regular season limit? Can you still have your 15 geese from that time? You can. And your nine in there. You can. You can have, those are two different seasons. So you may possess 15 from the early season. You may possess nine from the late season. What if you take those all those birds that you killed in the early season on the 15 day to a licensed processor and you have the receipt and each bag is labeled pepperoni sticks, flat jerky, goose breast plucked, and it's been done by a licensed processor. Does that still count against your possession limit? In Wisconsin, it does. Okay. And let me ask you this. If, You've been in on the board of wildlife. You work with a lot of the DNR. You work with game wardens. You've had a lot of laws passed or put into effect and signed off in in, in conjunction of wildlife laws. Why are they able to tell us when we can eat our geese? Because I like to think of a February wild game feed where I need 50 geese to feed 150 people that are coming to this wild game feed right and they're do- they're bringing money there's a silent auction we're doing a charitable do we do it all the time charitable auction or raffle whatever right that that bugs me and i know it goes back to the days of commercial hunting and loading your freezer up and selling them and all of that but if you hunt every day and you legally take your daily limit up to your daily limit so let's say you kill between one and three birds a day in wisconsin why in the heck can't I, and I hunt how many, and I don't know how many days it is. Let's say it's 50 days. I have 150 geese in my freezer because I went every day because I, I love can of geese and I'm looking forward to my wild game feed at the end of the year. Who are, why do we settle that they can tell us when to eat? That is the stupid, I agree with, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why is there a possession limit and a daily bag limit? 
There yes. shouldn't be. There's one or there should be one or the other. Yes. If they come to your house and you have them laid out by the date and I'm not, you know, it's up to them to get a search warrant, look in your freezer and all that stuff. And, and you're eating some of them throughout the year. But if they don't catch you in the field breaking the law and you shot over your daily limit because you're mad at them and you're really giving it to them, right? Because you're an <laughs> idiot. Shouldn't do that shit. There's no excuse for that. Correct. Um, why can't I save all 50 of my birds or 150 of my birds? You they, should be able to. Yeah. It's foolish. Or me and you put them all together in February I, and we sit down and we do a huge ravioli stuffing day where we're cutting, yeah. them, we're making our, our pasta and we're cutting them and we're Running stuffing them through them. the meat grinder, the meat grinder and, and, and mixing them with, I mean, with, with the pesto and everything. Why? Is that law into effect? It's it's always bugged me that you have to go home and worry about, about how much going, you have in the freezer. You can't hunt tomorrow because you already have this many geese. Bullshit! I'm going to eat those nine geese next Saturday. I'm doing a barbecue for a bunch of military and, and first responders, but I'm still going to kill a bunch more geese between now and then. You can't you unless can't. you keep eating those every day. Correct. You sh- you Chad, you can't imagine the dance I go through making sure that I'm cooking and eating geese. Uh, during the goose hunting season because I won't go over my my possession limit. And a lot of people probably don't even think of the difference between possession limit and bag limit. And, you know, I, I have I have a, I have a running total on my freezer. Like I, I put a piece of paper up with a magnet, a running total of what I have in there by date by numbers, by early season versus regular season. Were you out hundred percent before the first day of this year? I was. You yes. were out of goose, hundred percent. Out of goose. I, That's pretty cool. I ran out the week before. That's pretty cool. I used my last goose. Did you ever the have week more than before. your possession limit in that freezer? Never. Bullshit. Never. Never. How many license hunters in I'm, your home? I'm absolutely paranoid, and there. Have- so on the last day of goose season last year, you I'm, didn't have you did not have nine geese in your freezer, and you went out and killed your three on the last day of goose season, putting not, you at fifteen. Never, I always keep it under. Oh, look, I have extenuating circumstances. How, how, My family has specific. I get it, but how bad is, how bad is that? How, it's stupid. So what if you have? It's ridiculous what because have have we free? have a Dousman game feed that we help with every year. Every year. You got to donate food to it. Every year we donate raccoons. We donate. Uh, they never be raccoon eaten. feed. We we donate geese. Uh, I donated last year. I think I donated black bear. Okay, so let, let's say you have nine in the freezer, right? Nine plus your fifteen. No, those fifteen have gotten eaten already, and now you're in the regular season and you have nine in there. Okay. With your family, those 15 don't last. They're gone. No, no, they don't. Okay, so now you got nine in there. You had a good week. You, you shot your geese on, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now comes Monday. You're working from home. You get invited on another hunt. You got nine in there. You're telling me you can't go kill three more or you got to bring them home and eat them right away. But now you're over your possession limit because now you got 12 geese on your property. When that happens, I will make geese. I will make three of the, that's happened. But that exact scenario has happened to me many times. And when that happens, then I make those geese and I bring them to the hunt to feed the crew. Yeah. I'm, I bring burritos. Which along is rushing it and not doing what you intended with it because it was intended for a nice family dinner or a game feed. Yes. So they're dictating when we can eat. Yeah, it's absolutely the stupidest rule ever. Here's my opinion. If you are going to eat or feed somebody with those geese that were obtained in legal legal bag limits, 
who gives a crap how much you have in your freezer? And until you prove me guilty that I'm an outlaw and that I'm an unethical human being, you can't tell me when to eat. You <laughs> already gave me a daily limit. You already told me that I could go hunting this many days. I've been looking forward to it all year. I, I want to hunt. I'm going to hunt all 105 days or however many there is out west, right? I'm going to kill. I think they moved it to four or five geese this year. I'm going to kill four. I am going to have 400 Canada geese in my freezer at the end of the season. Okay? That's up to me. I'm it not should be. I, that's my goal is to kill a limit every day. I might not kill a limit every day, but if I'm hungry and I know I'm going to have wild game feeds and eat through and, and do all the recipes I want to do, who are you to tell me, Mr. Federal Government, that I can't keep them and cook them when I want until you catch me in the field? And not and catch isn't even the right word. Until you confront me in a, in a hunt. Prove you're doing something wrong in the field. And show me that on a daily basis, you can watch me every day. Come watch my group hunt every day. Yeah. Shit, we get, I get yelled out more for not calling the shot than I do for for anything that would ever be deemed unethical, right. coined unethical. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm sitting there going, I don't want to eat these geese yet. I got the Coney Island coming up. I want to make freaking goose pot stickers for this thing and blow people's mind. Well, now it's the, the Coney Island wild game feed, and I got nine geese in the freezer, and people are like, what's this? This isn't anything. It's well, very they frustrating. Have, they only let me have nine geese, so I couldn't bring that many for everybody. But everybody get a knife, and we're going to cut an eighth of an inch off of each egg roll and try it. <laughs> That's what they're forcing you to do. And and, and in Wisconsin, if it's processed, I asked a warden about this once, and they literally said to me, if you have processed geese they have ways of testing the percentage of the meat in there that is goose versus the percentage of some other you know meat that is put in with the grinding of the geese that you're eating which is crazy to think about yeah i'm not sure that they could i mean without you know dna testing which would be a complete waste of government money it's it's insane to me. It, it really is insane to me. And I they're they're trying. I I think the motive is to attempt to see who's ethically using their harvest because wanton waste. It's there's a fine line. Wanton waste is something to be shameful about. I think when people kill geese and throw the whole goose in a ditch or throw it in the field because they don't want to clean it or don't like to eat it, I think that's a crying shame. They shouldn't be allowed to hunt. And I think that's shameful. And I think there should be a heavy penalty when someone is caught and guilty of wanton waste. Yeah, lose your hunting license for a season. I, I think at you're not, least... You're not in it for the right reasons. It, so for so the, now the tough part is here I am somebody who's literally feeding my family with it. And I'm not saying I'm going to starve if I don't have it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making a conscious decision to be part, a direct part of the circle of life and taking that game and feeding my family with it. I'm not saying I'm starving. So I have to, I'm saying the choice I make is that that field is my grocery store. That's a choice 100%. I make as an American. Yep. And why on earth nobody tells me when I go into a grocery store how many pounds of ground beef I can buy yep. or have in my freezer? Yep. Nobody tells me you can only buy three steaks today. There's never a limit on steaks when you're walking out of the grocery store. Right. Why can't I, if I'm going to eat them, and I think their argument is, well, we don't know you're going to eat them. 
But why is that burden on me? Yeah, it shouldn't be. That's not the government's it's the same place. With fish. It's the same with turkey. You're allowed to kill four turkeys in yeah, a state, right? I've, you eat all your you eat all your turkey. You don't. You're not telling all me my that, turkeys. You're not telling me, but my possession limit is one. You can kill four this year, but your possession limit's only one. Yeah. Okay, so you no, better eat those three you can before keep you kill a four. turkey for every tag for turkey you have. And in Wisconsin, you can buy a new tag every day until they run out. I have seven for the fall. Sure, but you can keep all of them in you your freezer. You keep all of them. Yes. It's so, just, what's the difference? That's why I don't understand it. And I've had many wardens who will go and, and you know, you got wardens across all the political philosophies, really. But I have some who are incredibly good friends and I have some who are out to get me. And... The, the the ones I've spoken with, they it's like they look around like they're about to tell a bad joke. They look around to see who's looking and then they go, I, I think that's stupid, too. If you're going to eat them, who cares? And if you would obtain them legally under the daily bag limit, who cares that how many you have in your freezer? Well, I want to know what makes it not part of your possession limit anymore. If I get them back to my abode. And I run them through my That's meat That's really a gray area. So, so look, here's here's the question. If you're in duck camp right now, right? Let's say we're in goose camp right now. You have to go back to Wisconsin, and I'm driving back west too, sooner or later. Later. We kill, right now you can kill 15 geese per man up here. Yes. Okay, five of us go out and we just smack that ash, right? 75 geese. Right. You smiled when I said smack that ass. I meant the geese, Joel. Yes, I did. Um, I knew that. We come back here and me and you go, dude, we're making some freaking, we're going street tacos. Provider Sonora rub, we're throwing down. Crew comes over here, right? They bring, they call and they go, hey, we got some other clients. They're interested in this. They saw it on TV. They want to eat it. They come over here. Goose goes in there. Pork butt goes in there. The pork fat goes in there. We're grinding right. it. We take it back out. We put it through a secondary grind, a finer grind to get it just looking like it come from a butcher shop. I am not hungry right now, but my mouth is watering. So then we got our skillet and our flat iron going, a little Napa Valley olive oil. Our Traeger's going. We got it in there in a foil tin, getting a little tiny bit of smoke on it. Take Start it out. to smell it. Yeah. And you take that, that ground out of there and it goes straight on that olive oil on that flat top. Right. In that skillet. Bam. People are like, oh my God. This is unreal. And then they have to leave tomorrow, but they take a bunch of that ground and they bag it up. That's illegal. They can't carry that home as right. part. Right? They got to have a wing right. on. Wing on. And you can't leave here. You can eat it here. We could eat all the geese we want in camp as long as you don't kill over your daily right. limit. And we're eating them as we hunt. We can do that. Shit, you go to Canada for 10 days, the limit's eight. What are you going to do up there? You got to eat it. Especially when the freaking government tries to make it to where you can't bring them back here, which is ludicrous. So now you got these guys going, oh, my gosh, this is Canada Goose. Yeah, I never thought about doing this. These grinders make it so easy, but it's not a commercial grinder. It's not a commercial processing and butchering right. plant. You're not going to get a receipt from us. They put a bunch in some Ziploc bags and put it in the freezer and freeze it and take it home on their drive home tomorrow. They're busted. That's illegal. Right. Why is that illegal? That's so crazy to me that the transportation part of it now that these men cannot go through that and do it because they're automatically considered guilty. That's right. Because now they got, well, we can't, we don't know if that's a speckle belly goose in there. We don't know if you killed a bunch of golden eyes and ripped them apart with all that pork fat. Everybody's associated with guilt. So you take the heart of a hunter and an innocent man or woman, 
We can't live off of our food because we have to eat it right away. So let me ask you this. So now you take those geese to a commercial processor here and they turn them into ground and you have packaging with a sticker on it from a commercial licensed processor right. that, the, that the DNR works with and they've licensed to do wild game with no wing on. Can you take that ground meat home plus your possession limit of weaned geese for identification? Is this one still considered part of your possession limit once that pork fat has been grinded in it and it's been turned into a meal? Is that still part of your possession limit to drive home with? I bet you dimes to donuts, you're going to get a different answer from different wardens. So now you got... 10 geese that are grinded up in pork fat labeled with the possession with a commercial sticker on it from a from a processor right and now you're like but hey when we get home i'm gonna clean all these geese i want to get the livers out of them for joel clayfish's pate i heard him talking about i want to get the breast out of them i'm going to keep some of the legs for some gumbo ruse right so now the possession limit here is what i would assume it's 75 or maybe it's just let's say it's twice the daily limit i should know all this sure 30 but let's say it's 30 so now each guy go they're they're going to drive back to pennsylvania from here and they each want to bring their 30 geese with them, plus off of their first day, or their, they were here four days maybe, they got this ground up goose over here that a commercial processor did. Well, what here, can we, well I'm, I'm going to eat all of this in the street tacos here. I'm going to make liver pate with all of this and all these badass nachos and all these enchiladas and lasagnas and raviolis with these geese with the wings on. I just haven't had time to clean them yet. So now we get pulled over at the state border. Let me see your geese. All right. Well, what's this in the cooler? Oh, that was done in the cooler. What, what's legal? There's so much gray area it's in crazy. everything that we freaking have in waterfowling. And they want to know why. They want to know why the intimidation and the entry level is so intimidating. Why do you think into? people are afraid to get into hunting? Because it is. they're scared to death of the regulations. Plus, on top of that, everything before the geese are dead is hard in waterfowling. From the investment in the in the cold weather and the gear and the amount of gear you have to have. And then if you want to hunt ducks, you got to do this. You want to hunt geese, you got to do this. And then on top of that, you got to identify them when they're still alive. Why by their do you wing think chips. so many people are scared to death to get into it? Because you know why, Chad? The vast majority of people do not want to do something wrong. The vast majority of people want to do it right and don't want to break the law. But there are points at which every honest intellectual person out there actually wonders, am I doing it right? In Wisconsin, seven years ago, eight years ago, you shot one goose out of the sky. You had to take a physical punch card out of your wallet, pierce a hole through a dot on it before you could touch the geese to bring it back to your blind, then had to call it in within 24 hours. Didn't you get that taken out of law? I did. Is that why you brought it up just now? No, I brought it up to show the the extensive amount of regulation and you can reduce regulation all day long. You can reduce regulation and you still got too much because if somebody there is a difference between legality and right and wrong. And I don't care personally. I don't care under which circumstances a hungry woman or a hungry man wants to feed their family with wild game. As long as you do it ethically and legally. Yes. I, I understand the laws. I'm not going to go up there and say, there's got to be different laws for me or us. I'm not doing that. I'm simply saying the gray area makes me question 
on what I'm going to get in trouble for. And that is, those are the things that I go, wait a minute. I have the right to question this part of it. Nobody can tell me when to eat. Nobody can tell me when to eat. If I'm a legal hunter and I've honed my skills enough and worked at this craft to kill them every day, then I should be able to eat it. And if you never caught me, because if you go throw a can of goose or a snow goose in a ditch without taking the meat after it, and you do want and waste, and you're just out there to murder them, I don't like that. No, That's you, sh- not, you uh, shouldn't you're, you're, be allowed to hunt. I don't think you're allowed to hunt because now you have an attitude that's disrespecting the birds and you're not, and you're uncompa- uncompassionate for this bird and you're disrespecting them. And and I don't like people disrespecting a coyote. I don't like to see a bunch of snow geese killed. And then I've seen videos of people just throwing them out of the back of the truck, like cordwood. That animal just went through hell right now. People are going to say, Oh, that's just being on a high horse. And you're trying, you're trying to sound like, like once they're dead, we can't do what we want with them. No, I'm talking about there's a right way to treat an animal and a dead animal. You're talking about conservation. The difference between a conservationist and someone who doesn't give and a hunters crap. hunters are supposed to be the ultimate conservationist. We are. And having compassion for that animal. And I don't like hearing people say, F a coyote. Deer hunters like, I kill everyone I see. Well, there's nothing wrong with killing a coyote and, and, man, and practicing predator management. But for you to get a video of a coyote suffering in a snare trap and put that out there like that's cool. That is It's not evil. cool. That's evil. And then they're going to say, well, what about what they do to all of our deer and our cows? You know what? That's They're supposed to do that. They're hunters. <clears throat> they're, they're supposed to go kill your calf if you don't protect it. They're supposed to dig under your fence and kill your puppy if you haven't protected your puppy. They're a freaking coyote, and we built into their land. Right. All of our ranches on, are on the coyote's land. So quit trying to change history. You can't say that stuff. And then to show unethical behavior of ditching a bunch of geese just so you can go out and kill them all. Oh, nothing drives me mad more than that about hunt, uh, about somebody you, you hunting should be able something. To sleep. You should be able to sleep at night if you do that shit. You know, I I got a, a comment the other day. Oh, you know, on, on one of the social media. Pa- oh, like you eat it all. And so then I put up pictures of the recipes that I had in the last week, yep. you know, of the wild goose that I'm eating f- for my home. And there are spots, you know, there are places in Wisconsin where people hunt because they don't have an income uh, suited to buying meat from the store. Have you looked at meat prices? Hi. There are literally places and people who hunt because that's their protein source because they cannot afford to purchase a protein source. Why on earth should a person who is literally feeding his family instead of them going hungry, why is his refrigerator even on limits, even potentially accessible as long as he's legal every day right why i don't understand so it's more important for you to tag somebody over their limit over their possession limit even though they're feeding their family with it because they don't have the money to to buy the meat at the store that's the biggest tragedy that's a tragedy we're telling somebody if you can't afford to go buy $20 $20 a pound steaks at the store. You're still going to get a ticket. If you have meat in your freezer that you harvested, that you're going to feed your family. That's a dirty shame. So before that takes place and that you have the, the, the topic of party hunting 
this is the joys of waterfowl hunting, right? You're with your buddies. You can talk. Love you it. say, get them. Now, look, you have, you have 15 geese come in and you say, get them. And four of you kill 12 and you have 12 geese down and you're allowed 16. You got a four bird limit. Are one of you not shooting on the next flock to try to kill the last four? Because party hunting's legal. But you're supposed to have your birds separated you, in yeah. piles. Right. A lot of people don't do that. They put them out in the decoys. They tuck their head under the wing. Game warden walks up. Which ones are yours, Joel? Uh, that one over there, that one over there. Nobody knows. When you're party hunting, you're shooting, and BBs are hitting the birds and killing them. Okay? That's not, that's not sugarcoat it. That's a fact. That's a fact. So now at the end, and you got four birds left on your limit and there's five guns, do you go, okay, you four shoot? Well, what if this guy's a terrible shot and you're not going to get a chance at another flock and you want those four, four birds dead? So now you're telling me that one of us has to put our gun up because we have our legal limit behind us, right? Yes. Right? Yes. One of us has legal limit. Yes. That's the law. You yes. have to keep them separated. Yes. You have to have them on your own strap with your own tag on them. Or behind your blind. Or behind yeah. your blind. To where you can identify them. Which ducks are yours? Which geese did you kill? Yeah, now, we, if, now, if it comes down to it, you say, okay, I'm putting my gun away because I have my legal limit, my daily limit at my blind and in my, my daily possession. Yes. Okay, that's a law. You got to abide by that. Yes. And we do. We do that. And there's yes. ways And there's ways that are, have made it easier, you know, to with a duck strap and a tag on there with your license number on it. Hey, officer, these are my ducks right here. Now, let me ask you this. You leave those in the field at the very beginning, right? You have them all laid out. You know that yours are this pile, but now you put a, 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 a pile pick together. And then you say, I'm going to get the truck. You don't have them tagged because you yes. don't want to see all the all the paper, the white or the yellow or the blue tags. You don't have your zip tie around them yet. You take them off of your strap because you want to lay them out and make a cool, yes. a good pick for the, for the gram <laughs> to get 14 likes. <laughs> And now you leave, you, Joel says, hey, I'm going to go get my truck. Well, you're halfway there. The warden pulls in. Yes. And you got him in a pile. Yes. Now, now, now it's, it's the, over the daily possession limit because there's one less person in the field also. Yes. So now what happens with the warden on that? He knows you're going to get your truck. But right. before you leave the field, you have to go, wait a minute. I got to take him out of the pile. We just got our picture. I'm taking him back out of the pile, putting him back on my strap with my license number to show that when I leave the field, nobody here is responsible for these because I'm not with them. I'm not in possession anymore, but I have them tagged. Chad, if you start talking about stuff like that, I mean, it, that's maddening to think of because it's, but first, it's the law. First of, it is the law. First of all, you're, every warden's going to treat it differently. Every, I mean, wardens are human beings also. Yeah, but they're not supposed to. They're supposed to be they by the book. They are supposed to, but, you know, this was awesome stuff we talked about with the chief warden, these gray areas. And I think for the most part, certainly not. There, Look, there are wardens who are going into a field as conservationists themselves, many of them are waterfowl hunters themselves, and they're going into field to do their job and to also proliferate hunting. Those are the good wardens. There's always there's always a warden out there who steps into a field and he's not leaving that field until he gives a ticket, right? You, you've you met people like that too. There is law enforcement that's going into the field and they're going to check everybody's plugs and they're going to check, they're going to take magnets to everybody's shot and they're going to find something wrong if they want to find something wrong. Any cop following you down the road, regardless whether you think you're doing something wrong, can find a reason to pull you over. You deviated in your lane. 
You can get pulled over for that. Deviating within your lane. Any warden who wants to find something wrong is probably going to be able to find something wrong with somebody. But there is a point where there's a point to which if you are an ethical hunter, which I believe we are, you're going to do what you can within reason, within the human boundaries of reason. Sure. And I, and at that point, you're taking a leap of faith that the warden who's coming to that field while you're going to get your truck is also going to be within the standards of human decency and reason. And you're taking that chance. You're taking that. I had one of the most traumatic. Wait a minute. You're taking a chance by not abiding by the rules and you're breaking the rules according to the book and you're just hoping that on a well, whim this are you breaking is- the rules if you're walking to your truck and you're still inside of your three geese but they're not tagged they're in the pile pit still but you don't have to tag them you don't have to tag oh. geese you don't Wisconsin. have to tag geese but now let me ask you this I like what you're saying that, you know, you're just hoping that the warden comes You're there. within the bounds of reason and doing the best you can. So what about when it's time to leave now and those geese aren't tagged? Can I put my geese in your truck and I hop in another one and I go to Casey's to get a pizza and you go home to see your wife and you got my geese in your truck, but they're not tagged? No, you have to have a note from the person with a date and a signature saying you are handing over your possession limit your to that person. I don't think you need the license number on it in so Wisconsin. So an unlicensed hunter can just go... Hey, these geese are for Joel. Uh, you don't have to show well, proof that you have a Wisconsin hunting license and duck stamp. I don't. I don't think you. I'm going on memory here, and um, I'm not an attorney, so I don't remember if you need to have the license number. But I know in Wisconsin, if you write, if you write, these geese are for Cal Hadia, Joel Clayfish. I'm giving them to him. He can possess them. But then you got to be careful you're not over your possession limit, right? Right. Because we talked about that too. Then you got to start thinking, what do I have in the freezer if I'm taking Cal's geese and he's meeting me at my house? Or he walked into the Casey's while the geese are in my truck. If you... There's so many great Going back to the possession limit and you have... You have... They go they go into the butcher shop, right? Because mm-hmm. wardens will do this, especially with deer. Okay, so they go in there and they see Joel Clayfish has nine geese getting processed. I'm not saying that you take him to his processor. I know you do all this at home. But now you got him in there to get plucked or, or breasted or whatever. They see your name there. So they say, all right, well, we're going to go to Joel's house. And then they go to your freezer. And you got nine coming from this processor, but you got your nine in there from yesterday or the nine in there from the previous three days. Right. Are you over the limit if these ones are being commercially processed in the process? Now put it into the aspect of instead of him walking into a butcher shop, he walks into a taxidermist. And you got nine geese in there on a dead mount being done to to put in your duck lodge. And he goes to your house and you got your nine geese from the three days before. Are you over your possession limit? Because these are with the taxidermist getting stuffed. Well, when you gave him to the taxidermist, you didn't cut the meat out of him. Right. He had to skin him and the meat goes to waste or hopefully he gave it somewhere. But a lot of them freeze it and then they skin it off and he yeah. knows what they do with it. I get the meat back. So, yes. So, is that your possession limit So, then? now he goes into that taxidermist and not a butcher shop. 
what is legal now? Well, if I if I have I passed the time limit of possession because they're getting because they're being wrapped or on a phone. Or does it become bird? the taxidermist's possession? Well, you got to have your license and your tag with them. You always have to in a taxidermist shop, right? You have to have your Joel Clayface, yep. boom, 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 with my a, a good taxidermist DNR is always going to cover yes. ass with that. Yes. Um, but are you over your limit? When the warden sees you get nine of them stuffed here, but you got nine from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday here, and then on Thursday he sees, wow, these are getting stuffed for Joel Clayfish. I'm going to go see if he's got nine more in his freezer. And I know it's up to the game warden, but the gray area is like, wait a minute. I thought that if they're at the butcher shop, I'm done with them. I'm putting them in spaghetti. They've been processed legally. I don't know. There, you can't get a straight answer on any of this shit. You cannot. You cannot get a straight answer. You cannot even get a straight answer from a warden because they will tell you oh, it's going to depend on the warden and how, how specific they want to be about the law. But you hit on something that I want to point out. You hit on the importance, the incredibly important reason to make sure you elect hunters and fishermen and anglers to the legislature you just hit on a dime why it is quintessentially important to have legislators lawmakers who are hunters dealing with these things in the field because even trying to explain this to somebody who doesn't hunt they're going to get all confused and say that's ridiculous no thanks too much don't want any part of it. Yep. So when you're trying to move legislation to make it easier and reduce regulation, imagine how hard it is to do that among a group of people who don't hunt. Oh yeah, they're just gonna they're gonna get out get away from it as fast as they can and say whatever the whatever the law is. Whatever you're, you're the busted. law is, follow the law. They're not gonna want to sit there and listen to the twenty seven gray areas that popped up in your head in one day. One of the toughest things in my life that I dealt with publicly, I was a sitting state representative at the time. I was. Uh, after that, I was chair of the natural resources department. I was turkey hunting. I had a turkey come into my decoys, had one tag left in the fall. It was fall turkey hunting. There was one Tom at my decoys, shot at that Tom and killed it. And I went to go retrieve the Tom. And when I went out to retrieve the Tom, there was another Tom about 10 yards further back and about 15 yards to the right that was dead on the ground i took one shot with one shell and all of a sudden i had two dead turkeys on the ground and now this this is going to blow your mind because i'm going to be curious as to see where you fall on this so i thought it must have been an errant pellet that hit this turkey just the right way in the head, killed the other one. That's the only thing I can assume happened. I had one in my sights, you shot the turkey. You could tell it was freshly killed, though. It was warm and it, it wasn't it, killed it, the day before. It was floppy, correct. Yes. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so I didn't touch either bird, and I called the DNR on myself. I called into the DNR. I said, hi, may I please, please, I called the general number. Because I was in a real... Um, bind of a situation i did not want it to look like i was asking for special treatment i did not want it i didn't want to ask for special i i wanted to report it as an ethical hunter who had two birds down with one shot in the turkey hunting season so instead of pitching one into the woods 
which many people may have done, I called in before I touched any of them. I said, may I speak with a warden? A warden got on the phone. I said, I took one shot. There are two dead turkeys. I have one tag. The warden said to me, well, you know what? We don't, you know, we don't really give a ticket for, you know, incidental kill. We don't have an incidental kill law in Wisconsin. So an incidental kill is when something else dies when you're shooting at something else. Right. So I grabbed the turkeys and I said, what do you know? What do you want me to do with the turkeys? Well, we're probably, I, I don't see this going any further. Thank you very much for calling. That was the ethical thing to do. I went to church. I had messages on my, my phone when I came out of church from the warden callbacks. Yeah. I ran it up the flagpole. Um, you know, because of your job, I'm going to need to meet you at the spot. You killed these turkeys. Meet, meet me at this spot, bring the turkeys at the spot. Warden shows up at the spot, uh, investigates. Where were you sitting? I was sitting where I was sitting. He's looking all through trying the area. Trying to prove trying that you're guilty. Pro prove something. Uh, how many shots did you take? One. Did you really just take one shot? I said, if I had taken two shots at two turkeys, why would I? If I was purposely attempting to break the law and overbag, why would I have called in? After Why would this you call in and even brought him out? Like ninety nine percent, they probably would have never known if you didn't call in. Correct. If they would not have known if dead. I had just grabbed my turkey and walked out of the field. They Nobody never would have known. known if I if but I you had do the right thing and you're still assuming I do the right thing and you're still guilty. And he comes out and I he said, "Where did you shoot?" And we're looking through the little woods area and he finds the shell. We found the shell. I had looked for the shell before. I didn't find it. He found the shell, and he kept looking. I said, "What are you looking for?" He said, well, "I'm looking to see if there's other shells." I said, "I just told you I shot once, and why would I call myself in if I had purposely done something wrong? Yeah. That's counterintuitive, yeah, he's right? An asshole. Totally counterintuitive." Yeah. So he writes me a ticket. Oh wow! For over bagging. Some some ticket for overbagging. Yeah, what an idiot! And I said he should be fired on the spot. I said, so this is the lesson. This is why game wardens are not. This like. is the lesson your. So that became a statewide story. Joel Clayfish overbags his turkeys. Joel, I called myself in. You think that was in the articles? No, nope. nowhere. No. And you know what? He. <laughs> they probably had a picture of, of Officer Don Knotts there from Mayberry. Going, oh, I busted a guy. Like it's crazy to me. That's. I can't stand that. I hate so that. So here's the crazier part. You know, a friend of mine, a, a waterfowl turkey hunter, I'm telling him the story and he's an attorney and he says, you should not pay that. That's crazy. Do not pay. It. I says, hope you did. There is not an overbagging law in Wisconsin. So the warden and, and his boss at the time said, well, you know what? He was over his possession limit. Because he didn't have a tag for that second turkey. You know, I, you, I said, your office I said, said to when was I over the possession limit? He said, when you were carrying the turkeys to show the warden, which they told me to do. They told me told to, to bring the turkeys, turkeys to the warden and said, then we're going to change the ticket to over your possession limit because you were in possession of them when you were carrying yeah. them to meet they the warden. should be fired on the spot. Then that warden should be fired on the spot. I asked the question to the warden. How many people, I said, I want to know in the history of the state of Wisconsin, how many people have called themselves in for an incidental kill and were ticketed for it? How many do you think that answer was? From the warden that wrote you the ticket? No, I, I asked. From your friend. I, no, no, no. I asked the warden. 
the, the warden's boss, I asked him, how many people in the state of Wisconsin's history have ever been ticketed? Zero. 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 I was ticketed. And you know what? Two months later or two weeks later or so on one of the covers of the DNR magazine was a picture with a 15 year old girl who shot two deer with one shot with the warden's arm around her celebrating. Look at how good of a shot this girl is. She shot two does with one shot. Same warden that ticketed you? I don't know. It wasn't the same warden. That warden's an idiot. So that was celebrated. I hope, I hope he finds out. That, that incidental kill by a 13-year-old girl was celebrated. And I got After drawn and quartered in. throughout the whole state on AP News because Joel Clayfish poached this turkey and called himself in, which was never mentioned. What did they do with the turkeys? So when you when we talk about these gray areas and someone say that's ridiculous, Warden's never going to ticket that. I went through this and then tack on my character, and let me tell you, plenty of hurt feelings with all the keyboard warriors in their underpants in their parents' basement calling me a bad person who never knew I called my turkey in. Yeah, I, I, is there bitter feelings about what it still do? today? What, a little what he, bit. What did he do after he wrote you the ticket? Because he met you back at the spot with the turkeys. Yes. So what did he do with the birds? Took them. He took them both? Took them both. Oh, wow. So did you say took I'm going to go both. back out tomorrow and kill another one? You just stole my meat. <laughs> no, I what did not. What an asshole. I did like, not truly, say that. that's not. But that's, that, that's, that's just, also that's, something that's, that's why sad. people don't want to Those are two turkeys that rotted instead of ended up yeah. on my dinner table. Yeah. I, I'm, I was just, I was heartbroken by that story because I was heartbroken by did it. Did you ever- Because it teaches you to do the wrong so, thing. wait a minute though. But why didn't your, you and your attorney go after this clown? You didn't break the law. My- You did not break the law. My friend who was an attorney and I literally went and had a meeting with the assistant district attorney at the beginning of this. And- the this was during act 10 when we were making restrictions on public uh, employees so the wardens did not love us me personally i was on the finance committee at the time and my attorney just looked to me and he said do you really want to go through a trial over this yeah or do you just want to pay the ticket just and i just i paid the ticket you admitted your guilt by paying that ticket well <laughs> you didn't do anything chad you're right, but I would have I would have literally like I would have exposed I was so that war, I would have exposed that warden so bad. I was so clear. heartbroken that we are not we are teaching people to do the wrong thing. Yeah, you should have stayed quiet. You should have not even went over there and looked at that bird, taken your your turkey and got the heck out of the woods. That's, that's what, what they're that's, telling you to do. That is what that experience teaches you to, to do. break the law. Isn't that sad? Instead of calling in and having the warden say, this is an ethical hunter who just did the right thing. God bless you. Give us that one extra turkey. We're going to take it to a food pantry. Enjoy your turkey dinner. Exactly. It breaks to this day. It breaks my heart because I unintentionally killed two deer in South Dakota with my truck in the same morning. It's cold day going duck hunting. They're in the ditch, staying warm, getting out of the wind, and boom, they hear that vibration on the road or feel it or something tells them to jump out. Yeah. My bumper smack them, buck, call it in. I like to take the back straps out of this if I can. They say, you're not allowed to do that. Leave I it know. There. That's lame. I called it in. I didn't have to. It just, I mean, it's roadkill. Happens. Then I go down the road and do and hit another one like a mile away, 10 miles, maybe eight miles away. I don't know how far it was. Another one. Bam. Call it in. Just letting you know. 
I'm not, I'm not intentionally killing deer, right? I'm actually calling them in, telling you that I want you to know there's dead deer out here that are jumping out of the ditch and getting killed. Is there any way that we can get the meat out of them? We're not intentionally doing this. You're not at, you can't touch the meat, which is lame because it's going to go to waste or the oh, wardens are going to get it. I have another topic after this so one then, for that. The, going back to your story, there's no difference in you're out there and you are unintentionally doing this with this bird that you looked at and had compassion for like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? I don't even know how that happened. Right. Like, how did you not see another Tom Turkey? They're big. That's not the right. point. The point is, is that their, their notion in your head is that you are trying to cover your ass by calling it in. So they're automatically guilty. It's completely counterintuitive. It's like when a husband murders his wife and they do that fake 911 call. Right. And, they, and then the, the, the homicide, the homicide <laughs> right. investigators and the analysts yes. and the psychologists pick up on it. Well, his voice isn't right. Right. They could tell, oh, there's something up. We're, the first person they're going to investigate is the spouse. Correct. And then all of a sudden they find out, well, you did this and you covered your tracks and you made the phone call to make us think that somebody broke into your house. Right. That's the same mentality in this law enforcement of this turkey that you helped put more turkeys in the state of Wisconsin through your efforts with National Wild Turkey Federation and conservation efforts and habitat SCI. efforts and all this. And now you're getting busted and your name ran through the mud because right. you're a turkey slaughterer. Yeah, that right. warden needs to be put on trial. He needs to be called out. That's horseshit. Yeah, that warden signed the recall of the current sitting governor also. So there were personal motives for him to attack my family and me personal motives and then a month later they're celebrating on the cover of the dnr magazine celebrating a young girl who killed two deer with one shot celebrating it and for me i get the ticket and run through the mud and run so through what was the, the next ringer. topic that you were bringing up when i brought that up I, I, sandhill cranes you can get ag tags for sandhill cranes but you're not allowed to take the meat out of them once you kill them yeah so the ribeye in the sky, they call it. But listen to this, though. So at the, that's a dilemma. Now, I've had farmers say to me, I've got Sandhill Crane. I've got Sandhill Crane uh, agriculture tags, crop damage tags, basically. You know, you want to kill them. I don't even do it because I can't. If you shoot a crane and throw it in the ditch, which is what you're supposed to do if you kill an ag tag crane in Wisconsin. Now, I, I authored a bill to allow the legal hunting of sandhill cranes. Our flyway set up for it. We have a flyway plan federally and everything and, and was just about crucified for that because the Crane Foundation, the International Crane Foundation is in Baraboo, Wisconsin. But I won't even go kill ag tag cranes because then you have to literally make a decision. Am I going to be right with the law or right with God? And they're not on the same page because I'm not right with God if I'm shooting cranes and him and leaving him lay in a ditch but i'm not right with the law if i shoot a crane on an ag tag and take the breasts out of it and eat it you want to talk about absolute absurdity you can kill these cranes because they're doing crop damage but you can't eat them um that's insanity it's almost like it's it's a it's the same thing as I don't know. I could get into these laws and these gray areas all the time, but you cannot kill a mountain lion in the state of California anymore. Okay. Not just with bears. You can't run them with dogs, but you can still get a bear tag in certain areas to kill a bear without a dog. You used to be able to tree them. <clears throat> so now these mountain lions are destroying livestock and wildlife. 
They're overpopulated because they're not being managed. But guess who kills them? Guess who's killing them? The government. <laughs> they're paying a shooter to go in an airplane or to go out and trap them or to go out and call them any means necessary. Complete and then what do they do with them? You know what they're doing with absurdity. them? Absurdity. You know what they're doing with them? Throwing them in a ditch. In a hole. And you know what? No money in hotels, gas, grocery, restaurants. No money in licensing for the Department of Wildlife. Taxidermy money. Taxidermy money to get that cat mounted, which a lot of taxidermists can't mount a cat because it'll make the face look so messed up. Just an opinion, <laughs> but it's a fact. Can't do well on it. Um, so Absurd. So now you take all that legal, the legality of predator management and killing a cougar out. Our state's right next door to them. So now all these these cats get in these high mountain ranges on the border. They The, the snow pushes them down. What do they do? Come across the state border. Yep. We're overpopulated with cougars. Our deer and antelope and elk population and our cattle and our livestock get diminished. We're allowed to kill them. But did you know that if you kill a, a mountain lion in Nevada, you can't cross the state line? Because there's routes that we take to get from Nevada back into Nevada through California. Sure. You can't bring that dead cat into California to get back to Nevada. You can't transport That's it through the state crazy. line. These are the this is the shit that hunters have to put up with because of this government like Gavin Newsom that wants it to be like this. They tried to make it in California this year where you couldn't take your kid on a youth hunt. Yes. I know. You got to have your ass kicked. That's not that's not even that's that's not even a conversation. But we make it a conversation. It's a reality. There was legislation proposed so in California. Where I'm, going with, where I'm going with this is the conversation that you heard yesterday. In a local establishment here, we were at a bar trying the world famous buffalo wing. Buffalo wings just outside of Buffalo. Just outside dogs. of Buffalo. I wasn't going to say where we were. Just um, Doug's. Doug's house. But did you hear the gentleman in there about kill them all? We hate them. They <laughs> shit on our yards and they <laughs> ruin our river. I can't even go fishing because I'm stepping in goose shit. And I'm like, wow, you're not a hunter. But you're not against it. You're not an anti. Do you think antis, the people that don't want that mountain lion killed, do you think they go, wow, I hope that mountain lion comes in and eats my granddaughter tomorrow. Do you think they talk like that? Or do you think they go, get rid of them. I don't want them sons of bitches around my house. Right. Or do you think that when an anti sees all this goose shit on a golf course, they're like, we want more. Send more can to geese, are we? No, they're saying the exactly course. what that guy said yesterday 100%. in that bar. They're saying... I wish they did. I wish they take these to Martha's Vineyard. I wish they'd get rid of them and right. take them up there. You know, like, <laughs> it's the same mentality. Where do you want them to go? Where do you want those geese on your riverbanks that they've been coming to for hundreds of years? Now all of a sudden you have a, a double wide on the trailer and you go down there and catch a trout once in a while. Where do you want the geese to go? <clears throat> what What is the mentality of? We don't want you to hunt them. We don't want it to be legal to hunt Canada geese. But we don't want them shitting on our golf courses. But now we're going to pay people to get rid of the now resource we're, we're not allowing hunters to take. Yes. The same thing happened in Wisconsin with Is deer. Is that not crazy it's that we got to even deal with this shit? In Wisconsin, there uh, there was a law there was a law that municipalities could say no hunting of deer. 
So municipalities in a patchwork quilt could say you may not hunt deer in this municipality. So the urban population of deer was growing in in some communities so much so that there was no conservation going on. Deer herds were starving to death because there wasn't enough food in the subdivisions to feed them. They're running into cars, injuring or killing people running into the roads uh, under Governor Scott Walker, Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish. I wrote a bill to allow for hunting in all municipalities to supersede all municipalities because you know what these municipalities were doing to control their deer populations where hunting was against the law hiring sharpshooters with rifles to come in and kill the deer because there's just too gosh darn many eating my flowers but not allowing a hunter to sit in a tree stand arrow one with with a bow and take it home and put it on the table no you know why because they're bullies it's Gosh. the bully way. We have to have power over that hunter. You want to talk about a contradiction. They're bullies. So at least we got that law passed, and now you can bow hunt deer in every municipality in the state of Wisconsin. And there are some hunters killing deer in urban situations who are taking it home and putting it on the table. You tell me what's safer. A bow hunter in a tree stand shooting an arrow never once in the state of Wisconsin, never one time has there been an injury from a bow hunter hitting and hurting another human being not once but we're bringing in sharpshooters to shoot rifles that would hurt a broadhead right in the thigh (laughs) (laughs) right in the meat you got me on that one it's 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 ludicrous that's gonna leave a mark it's ludicrous that they'd hire a sharpshooter sharpshooter shooting rifles bullets go for miles But no, a hunter can't sit in a tree stand. It's it's going on right now. When it becomes their problem, it's okay by any means necessary to take them out. It's like, you you can have it down there. I don't care if you're going through this. But if it affects me, then then I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. You're not allowed to hunt. You're, it's bullshit that you can go and hunt. It's It should be outlawed. Well, logic's out the window. But we're going to get a sharpshooter to take care of these deer because they're eating my apples. You know what it is? It's an I'll show you. I That's a, all it is. I heard a celebrity is. in New I'll York show on, a, you. on a national interview. I heard a celebrity singer. And I you got you to gotta, uh, look this up. I think it's got to be in record because it was on the Howard Stern show and he sang a song, a lot of good songs. In the 70s and 80s, she's a rich girl and you're going too far because you know it don't matter anyway. Okay, so I'm listening to Daryl Hall talk about how much he freaking hates deer. Hates them. (laughs) They're eating my apples. They're getting ran over. They're going through windshields. Well, do you hunt them? No, I don't hunt. Well, should we hunt them? No. Okay, so do we poison them? I'm not saying this was in the interview. I'm, this is what's going through my mind while I'm listening to this guy. They're anti-hunting. They hate deer, but they also hate hunters. Killing shit. It's Bambi. It's the Disney motive, right? I didn't mean to say Disney. I don't say that word anymore. It's the Bambi motive. Like, oh my God, it's so emotional. No. You can't have your cake and eat too. These deer are getting waxed everywhere. They're dead all over the roads because there's so many of them. They're not being managed right. Right. So then you say, all right, well, you can kill 15 doe a year. Or, no way. That's that's massacre. It's that's like, murder. This It's murder. This mentality is like, do you want deer? Well, we like seeing them when there's just one of them out there eating a, a, a tree that's not in our yard. They're so pretty. <laughs> but as soon as that deer crosses into your yard and eats one of your apples, it's like, 
oh my god get a sharpshooter we got to get my rid of backyard this. Yeah, it's crazy mentality right it's a it's fact. crazy it's if they if they if they've learned the science of what hunting and management does and herd management and predator management and all of this does for the ecosystem you know preventing disease Yes. Managing wildlife for the generations the to health. come. Here, if they care so much about wildlife, why don't they care about the health of the wildlife? Yeah. And do you think that they're taking credit for the wildlife being so abundant? If they knew what hunting and conservation groups like Safari Club or Ducks Unlimited are doing, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, National Wild Turkey Federation, Pheasants Forever, Quail Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl. California Waterfowl Association, Nevada Waterfowl Association, Nevada Bighorns Unlimited. I'll keep going. I, I, I know a ton of them. I've worked with a ton of them. Do you understand that it's them? It's that money from hunters. It's the heart of a hunter, the compassion of a hunter for those animals, the respect of a hunter for the resource. Living on the land, living off the land, being one with God and nature and, and everything that it has to offer. You don't live in the city and tell me I can't hunt in the country. You've never been here. Come here and let us mentor you. Let us show you how special this lifestyle is. But don't tell me that we can't kill a deer, but you can hire a sharpshooter to do it. Don't tell me I can't go tree a lion with a, a legal license and tag in California, but you can hire government officials to go do it and put them in a hole and waste all that money and good food because cougar's not bad to eat if you do it right. It's not the best. I'd, I'd eat it. I know you would. But again, <laughs> I've eaten it several times. Some of it's good. Tenderloins and the back straps are fine. Um, it's it's a crazy mentality that people have against hunting. It's just absolutely. But then when you start that with the people that are antis, and now you take the people that work within the reins of the law enforcement that can dictate what they just did on your turkey hunt, might, that dude might as well be an anti-hunter. Because you're making you not want to hunt anymore. You're taking your right as a hunter and saying, you're an outlaw. You're in, that's Ill, right. You're illegal, and that's not right. That is a that is an insult to you're humanity. You're doing something wrong by doing something right, yeah, and that's an insult to humanity. And the way you were brought up, the way your mom and dad raised that's you, the right. way you're raising your kids, the way you talk at your seminars, the way you talk with all these young kids that you're mentoring into into goose hunting, they're they're insulting that. And that warden should have been fired, canned, and put on the front paper of like this dude is an a hole. If you see him in public, please let him know that he is an a-hole <laughs> for putting you through that. That's how I see it because they get this bully mentality. You were already on the phone with them once and you went to church and you were praying to the Lord. You're having a nice Sunday and then your phone blows up. We got to meet you back out at the side of the of the of the tragedy, the, <laughs> the, 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 the side, the of, side the, of the murder, the, the murder, murder scene. Scene. We're going to need to meet you at the murder scene. And you you get out there and he's there before. He's got yellow tape stretched around. <laughs> it. He's got his paint can put in the outline of the turkey body. Is this where he was? You freaking idiot. Like that is ass night. It me, was dude. crazy. That's I, crazy to me. And to this day. I mean, to this day, if someone wants to get under my craw, they bring it up. I mean, I still have oh, guys I'm bringing bring it up, up forever now. When I see a turkey it, on the side of the road, I'm going to say, Joel, you want to go get him? You want to get Hey, it's it's June, Joel. Do you want to go smoke that turkey real quick? I, I'm telling you, I, I, nothing ever, because the, the toughest part for me was that I try so hard with every fiber of my soul to do things right within the law when it comes to harvesting wild animals. And the fact that I was, I was not, you know what? I was foolish. I was stupid. I was stupid to call myself in. I was foolish. I gave more regard to the, those who take the oath than I should have. And that's sad because the vast majority of the people who take the, the oath are doing the right thing and mean to do the right thing. 
100%. And that is that is something that's sad because this guy, this one warden, ruined it for me of the trust I had in all wardens. Now, I trust wardens, and wardens have the toughest job of any law enforcement because they're encountering people in the with field firearms. with firearms. They are some of the best people and closest friends I have. But this warden on that day Should've didn't like me and he marked me. Should have been fired. And that broke my heart. It really did because I did the right thing. And it's going to teach someone else to not do the right thing. Should have been fired. I'm so not, what do you I think about, disagree. what do you think about going back to in this? You're saying with all of your relationships, all of your hunting friends, all of your relationships in the Senate, the assembly, the legislature, the DNR, you're going on record right now of saying that you should not be able to tell me when I eat my harvested food as long as I'm legal every day, we should be able to eat it when we want. I would have said that to you when I was sitting in the legislature. I don't think if you harvest an animal legally and you're in your within your bag limit, there should be a possession limit if that food is going to be eaten by human beings. You know, I, I get heartbroken when people say they harvest geese and turn it into dog food. I don't even I think to myself, why on earth would you waste such fantastic protein? Why? You know, that's how I think of it when people are like, yeah, I use it for or when people take all the goose they cook and turn it into jerky. Now, jerky's great. Make some into jerky. Fantastic. But I got guys like, ah, I turn it all into jerky. I get like I'm sad and saddened by that. You take one of the best my wife who never tasted wild game fifteen years ago in her life, never tasted wouldn't taste it. Her favorite meat to eat is wild Canada goose. Now imagine that. That's crazy. That's awesome. And wild Canada goose is great, but I'm not going to say that there's anything wrong with, with taking some of it and slab jerking it and putting no, it on the tray. No, of course not. Goose jerky is great if you no, do it No, right. I love goose jerky. I know you do, but I'm saying like if people would be a little unorthodox and think, they could be like, oh, really? We could make some... We're going to do nachos tonight with Canada goose. And they're going to be amazing. We're going to do Canada goose liver pate tonight. We're going to do... Florida alligator Greek gyros tonight. We're going to do Wisconsin authentic Wisconsin cheese curds tonight with a little bit of breading and some provider rub. We're going to use the flaky on the alligator. We're going to use the fowl on some of the Canada goose for the nachos. I don't know what we're going to use yet for the liver. What did you say you used on the liver? I used uh, drop tine and covey. So you didn't even use the waterfowl. Well, maybe we try the waterfowl rub on the liver tonight. Just see what it does. It might be too sweet for liver. Uh, no, I think that it'd be a good mix. I really did like, I really like that covey, um, in every, any like German style dishes. I like to use the covey, uh, across all the meats. If I'm making anything German style, like a roulade or anything like that. I like the covey. Covey's great. It's got yeah. those butter chips. Yeah, it's good. It's got that thyme in it. It's got yeah. rosemary it's in it. Fantastic. It's delicious. It's the best way to cook a pheasant. That was the bird I tested on because I, I, I am going on record of saying I hate 99% of the pheasants I've eaten from people cooking them in my life because it's always that cream of mushroom goulash, that, that strogan. I don't know. It's not even a stroganoff. It's like, ooh, it's like gross. And I'm like. It gets gummy. And cream gets of mushroom gummy. soup makes things gummy, which it, I'm not and, a fan and dry, of. The heat of the soup dries the pheasant out too yeah, fast. Yes. And dry pheasant is easy to get to. Real easy. So, um, 
I do pheasant fondue. I love pheasant fondue. Cube it up. Give it a flash fry. I love it too. Pheasant fondue with dipping sauces. I know how you love sauces. Cheese sauce, barbecue sauce, right wing sauce. Oh, That's yeah. what we're going to talk about soon. I'm, are we going to are we going to sign the papers on that today? What's that? The sauce. Oh yeah, consider it done. Well, you got very be, excited you about part that. Of that. I'm very excited about that. That'll be fun. Yeah, I need to get some samples ASAP. No problem. Can you have them shipped today? Yes. Why don't you have them overnighted for tomorrow? And we make our own buffalo wings up here by Buffalo and see if we can compete with the oh, buffaloers. I'm going to tell you what. This buffalo sauce is the best you've ever tasted. So ever. When- buffalo. You know that it comes. There's actually a suburb of Waukesha, Wisconsin, where I'm from, Buffalo. There's a buffalo suburb of Waukesha. So there'll be buffalo Waukesha. I can't wings. believe that I've never put the <laughs> buffalo sauce and the buffalo wings in with Buffalo, New York. I never even thought about that. The geographic location where they were invented, essentially. I've never even put two and two together. It's a cool folklore story. It is. It was a a packaging, a chicken packaging plant, and they used to quarter the chickens and throw away the wings, and the guys, uh, the men and women at the packaging plant just started saving the wings, bringing them to a local bar, deep frying them, and throwing hot sauce on them. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool folklore, and there's you know there's been a lot of companies that have been started that way, and a lot of a lot of brands that have been started out of necessity because of stories like that. Necessity is the mother <laughs> of invention. Yeah, I love those stories, like bodyguard bumpers. Yeah, his dad bodyguard bumpers in Texas and Paris, Texas. Is um, the Malacote brothers' dad had a um, their cattle farmer ranchers, and the cattle hits his Dodge. And it busts up the grill and he's pissed. And they're like, we need to get a bumper. So Grant goes in and starts welding this bumper together. <laughs> he just has some welding talent. Sure. He's a fabricator and he starts designing it and putting this rack on there and this grill cover and brush guard and all this, you know, the famous Texas brush guard bumper yes. style. And he puts it on his dad's truck and figures out how to attach it and install it and make it, make it legit. And his dad's like, that's cool. That's going to prevent that from ever happening again. And then the neighbor sees it. And he's like, oh, I, I want need, one of those. I need one of those. And that's how Bodyguard Bumpers was born. That's cool. And now they're huge. I love it. Isn't that cool? That's the Foul Life podcast. Joel Clayfish talked about a lot. He said a lot. He said everything. He said it all. That turkey story's got me pissed off. Mr. Warden, check yourself, please. That's not cool. We want to work with you. We want to be good ambassadors of this lifestyle. We want to do things right. We want to show people that if you do things right, you'll be rewarded. That that has a lot to do with the compassion, the respect, the conservation, the culinary part of it, eating what you kill, trying to be good stewards of the land, stewards of the lifestyle of showing people like, here's how we do it. We don't want to be illegal. We don't definitely don't want to be presumed illegal and guilty. We want to work within the means and and figure out how we could be better at this to showcase it, to grow it for generations to come. We don't want this entry factor, this entry level, this entry barrier that is that is waterfowl hunting. There's a reason why deer hunting is so popular. I get it. There's a ton of deer and you just need a rifle and an orange vest in a lot of places and a bullet. 
I get why waterfowl hunting is so expensive and so gear intensive, but if we could take some of the intimidation and that entry barrier out because of the laws and everything that goes into scaring people, like this turkey story that's that's considered fowl still, but it's not part of waterfowl or migratory birds, we can work together. We're willing to work together. We want to tell the stories. We want to educate. We need to have more game wardens coming on shows like this that are getting the downloads, getting the listeners, and talk about how we can be better and how we can do things right. What is the right steps to take? Can we get a meeting with you, Mr. Game Warden, and come into your office and sit down and say, these are my goals in duck hunting and goose hunting. This is how I want to hunt. What can I do and what can I do? Will you spend some time with me? Are there seminars that we can go to and pay $100 to watch you speak, Mr. Game Warden, to educate us on what we can and can't do? Because when I read the law in the regulation books, and I'm educated, I got a college degree, I can read, and it's confusing as heck. There's so much gray area. Then you got state laws and federal laws, <clears throat> daily limits, possession limits. I don't want to eat my geese when you tell me to eat them. I want to save them for my game feed in February. Why can't I? Let's talk about this. I'm Chad. That's Joel. This is The Foul Life. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. We're getting ready to do the Canada Goose liver pate. We're getting ready to do the Canada Goose pulled Canada Goose nachos with the Outlaw Snacks chips. Three different flavors. You're going to see unbelievable color and presentation. This We're getting ready to do that Florida Joel Clayfish gator on the hanger with the Greek euros with the tzatziki sauce. Tzatziki sauce. Tzatziki sauce. <laughs> and we're getting to do those authentic Wisconsin cheese curds that my good friend Rebecca Clayfish traveled miles to go get me for Joel to fly in here in his cooler. Tomorrow night, we're going to do some Wisconsin walleye and some wings right here in the Buffalo part of New York, upstate New York, New York, New York. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for being here. Don't forget to check out thefowllife.com at the Foul Life TV on Instagram and brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We're getting ready to be in Nebraska. We're getting ready to be in Iowa. We're getting ready to be in Idaho and Wyo, Nebraska on the Nebraska Wyoming border. It's going to be a blast. We're fired up. Season 14 of Benelli's The Foul Life right now, exclusively, like I said, on the Outdoor Channel. Find all of our first 13 seasons on the My Outdoor TV app. And don't forget to check out theproviderlife.com to get your rubs and your cookbook. And we got new rubs coming soon. Thank you all so much for the support. Go out there and get them. Keep talking. Keep hunting. Stay safe. Stay legal. Let's do it right. Peace. Soul, I'm riding hard and never quit.